Ephesians chapter 5. This is the second in three, uh, three messages that I'm going to give on this series of, of passages uh, in this incredible, wonderful book. And I'll start with verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up, you sleepyhead. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Since you're now awake, be careful how you live. Be careful, literally, in the Greek, how you walk. Don't walk as unwise, but walk as a wise person. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Wake up, you sleepyhead, and make the most of every opportunity. Let's pray. Father, use this time to make your word come alive, to change us, to restore in us your true image, to make us your warriors, to, Lord, get us out of our mediocrity, to wake us up, Lord, to be the people you want us to be, Lord. You've got to do that. Your word comes alive when and only when your spirit is present. And so let your spirit be present, Lord. I feel your presence here this morning, and it's beautiful. I pray, God, that you just let that aroma linger in each word that I say. In your name we pray. Amen. First I want to talk about the waking up, and then I want to talk about the making the most of every opportunity. Um, several years ago, actually about 15 years ago, 16 years ago maybe, when my wife and I were first married. We married 16 years. And... Um, you know what it is? When you first get married, it's kind of weird. You never have shared a bed with somebody, and, and, and getting used to those sleeping habits is kind of weird. And I'm not going to share very much about that with you at all, but I, <laughs> I unveiled too much as it was last week. That's as much as me you're going to get. But, um, oh, about three in the morning one time, this happened, and it was kind of freaky to her. I, I, I woke her up, and I started arguing with her. Um, and the argument, I was told the next morning, was something about quarters on the table and, and nickels in a slot. Uh, that's all she could make out of it. But I woke her up and I was saying, what about the quarters that were on the table? I mean, what happened to the quarters? And she goes, what quarters, what table? And I, I was so frustrated. And I kind of remember being frustrated in the middle of the night, three in the morning, trying to wake her up to argue with her, saying, well, what did you do with the quarters? And the nickels aren't in the slot. The nickels, those nickels that you had, they're, oh, they're gone. I was almost like crying. And she was saying, uh, you know, honey, I think you're, you're kind of sleeping. And... and, and I'm saying, no, the quarters. And I finally rolled over and mumbled to myself, man, she, don't, she doesn't get anything, you know, and I'm back to sleep. <laughs> but I remember thinking, I remember, I remember really believing that I knew what I was talking about. I really thought I knew what I was talking about, and I was very frustrated because I couldn't get her to understand what I was talking about. But I was talking in my sleep. And when you talk in your sleep, you make sense to yourself, I suppose, but you don't make sense to anybody else. Because you're not thinking in terms of reality. You're out of touch with the reality. You are virtually asleep, but it looks like you're awake. If you're ever going to start making sense, you've got to wake up. Now, Paul likens becoming a Christian. Paul likens becoming a Christian in, in verse 14 here to the process of waking up. Wake up, O sleeper. And that means that he sees being an unbeliever, the time before you become a Christian, he sees that as being a time when you're really asleep. People are asleep. And they believe that they are making sense. They make sense to themselves. The way they see the world makes sense to themselves. The things that they say, the priorities they have, the life they live makes perfect sense to their sleepy world. But from the gospel perspective, it's a sleepy world. It's not an awake world because it doesn't conform to reality. Paul says in Romans 8. 
that the natural mind, the natural mind, just the mind on its own basis, its own rationality, cannot understand the things of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he says that the principality and power of the air has blinded the hearts of all unbelievers. And the point he's getting at here is this. Unbelievers, though they may have an outrageously high IQ, though they may be incredibly moral, though they may have everything about their life together in, in certain respects when it comes to understanding the things of God, when it comes to understanding who God is, who Jesus is, what life's all about, the Bible says they're, they're sleepy. They're sleepy. There's a spirit of slumber over their eyes and over their ears. These are the ones that Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 4 when he says they hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. They just can't understand why they need to be saved. They're, after all, quite good people. They don't understand that life is not just for the here and now, but that life is an incubator for eternity. They don't get that concept. And they don't get the concept that there's a God that they have to answer to. So their life doesn't reflect that. They don't see how Jesus Christ can be God and man, how he can be the Lord, why we need him to die for our sins. Those things, though they may have a great IQ, it just doesn't enter in. It just can't get in. And sometimes you believers know that as you're talking to a non-believer, it's like you're talking past each other. There's just something that doesn't happen there. But there comes a time if you have an openness in your heart, any openness. God doesn't need much of an openness at all. And this isn't about being smart. This isn't about being rational. It's about something more fundamental than that. It's about a heart. Is your heart open to God or not? According to the Word, if your heart is at all open, then the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to begin to splash water on your face, to begin to get you to wake up, trying to cajole you to see what's going on. And there comes a time, and every believer here has had something like this, though you may not remember exactly when and where it happened, though many of you can remember where it when and where it happened, but a time when you have sort of an aha experience. You know what I'm talking about? A kind of an, an awakening. The Bible calls it enlightenment, or the Bible calls it a revelation. When all of a sudden the coin drops in the slot, the light bulb goes on, and you see something you never saw before. I remember when it happened with me. I got, after a church service, I didn't give my heart to the Lord at this time, but I remember, uh, uh, you know, driving home, telling my girlfriend, uh, uh, telling my girlfriend um, that um, maybe there's a God. It seems, you know, it's like all of a sudden a light bulb went on. I remember thinking, maybe there is a God. I mean, where else do we get our morality from? Why do we pray for him when we're in trouble? Maybe there, and it was just like all of a sudden, there was an atmospheric change in the world. But the change wasn't in the world. The change was in my perception of the world. All of a sudden, there just might be, in fact, I suspected there was, a God who was quite a bit like a person. He's personal, he's conscious, he's rational, and he created me for a purpose. And I had better find out what that purpose was. And so it is, there's a time sometimes when the Holy Spirit begins to bring faith, bring enlightenment, bring understanding. When all of a sudden you begin to understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that the Bible is the Word of God, you begin to understand that life is but an incubator for eternity, that this is not the whole show, this is hardly even the beginning of the show, and that life is really orientated towards the afterlife, and, the, and that getting right with God is the most important thing you could ever do, and that in next to that, nothing else really matters. The coin begins to drop on the slide, and it's the most beautiful experience you could ever have, because now you see that your life has meaning. We talked about that last week. You begin to see, you begin to see that there's a purpose to this whole thing. It's not just a, a, a meaningless meandering, meandering of absurd molecules in motion. There's a creator, there's a purpose, there's a governor to the whole thing. And this morning, if you're here, 
and you're still in that state what the Bible calls being sleepy. And I don't say that to insult or anything like that because I know exactly where, what that's about. I was there. All of us have been there. But it seems like, like, like Christianity, is, it doesn't make sense. The Bible says that the natural mind regards the things of God as being foolish. And maybe this seems foolish to you here this morning. You don't get why we're getting so pumped up about the music. You, know, you just don't get that. If you're at a football game, you understand because you can see that if someone scored a touchdown, so people, of course people jump up and down and scream and holler. But where's the touchdown? You, know, you don't see that, and so this doesn't make sense to you. But I want to tell you this. If the Lord is, if there's something pulling at your heart, it will make sense to you if you just surrender to that. And I know that the Lord's working right here and now in someone's heart. And, and you're beginning to wake up. God gives you the right, the, the, the opportunity to roll over and go back to sleep. He will not coerce you. But the Holy Spirit's trying to draw you to say, give in to that, give in to that. And you don't have to understand a lot. You just have to know that the core of this thing is true. And this morning, I encourage you not to go out of here without giving your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be some people up here at the at the front of the service, at the front of the auditorium, we'd love to pray for you and uh, help you having that wake-up experience. Wake up, O sleeper, and the light of Christ shall shine in you and shine through you. But this can also happen. And now I'm talking to believers. You can believe in the Lord. The light goes on. You see the truth of the whole thing. It begins to make sense to you. You accept it. You surrender to it. And it can sometimes happen. In fact, maybe it often happens. Maybe it usually happens. That part of you is still asleep. Do you ever have this happen to you when you're... You wake up and, and uh, uh, you're, you become conscious, and, and, and it, but you can't move. Did some of you have that experience? Okay, good. Last service, everyone denied it. Like, you're a really a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> no one knew what I was talking about. But you wake up and, and you're, you're conscious, but you can't move anything. In fact, you maybe even feel like you're being suffocated. Do you ever feel like that? Like, it's like, oh, uh, you know, like, like there's some demon on your chest. Sometimes people think there is a demon on their chest. Maybe there is. But, but you're having this experience, and I'm told that by a neurosurgeon, that what happens there is that part of your brain woke up, the conscious part, but the part that controls bodily function didn't wake up. Usually in the process of awakening, the bodily function part comes awake first. Isn't that weird? So you are awake, but you can't, your brain just isn't telling your body to move. So you're sitting there saying, I wish I could move, but you know, you can't. <laughs> and I have no idea if that's true or not, but it makes a great analogy. <laughs> because I don't know if it's true. Maybe it's all demonic for all I know, but Here's the thing. You get saved, you, you, you become aware, you become conscious. The light goes on, you have that enlightenment experience about the truth of Christianity, and you accept it. But it can happen, it often happens. Maybe it usually happens that there's a part of you that's just been numb. And you know it's numb, you're there, but you can't seem to move it. You know what I'm talking about. So you've got some sleepwalk tapes going on. Stuff that doesn't conform to reality. We talked about that a little bit last week with this whole script business. You've got the sleepy tapes saying that you are always going to be a victim, saying that you can never conquer, saying that you're always going to be depressed, saying that the biblical truths apply to other Christians, but they don't apply to you, saying that God loves other people, but he doesn't love you, telling you that you're never going to get out of the worry and fear that you live in, etc., etc., etc. Sleepwalk tapes, they don't make sense in the light of the Word of God, and though you're awake, yet you walk in this slumber, and you get, you get droned into this sleepy sort of self-talk that we let occur in our life. And so Paul says this, wake up. you got to wake up. You wake up to the truth of who you are in Christ. And, 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 and you got to take the Word of God, which is like a cup of espresso coffee, and just, and just drink it all in. Huh? Hey, that was an analogy. Get that caffeine buzz on the Word of God. 
Sometimes God uses each other, uh, uses the body of Christ. This is why we're here together. This is why, why, why being in, involved in network with people is so good. Because you can start talking sleepwalk talk. You start thinking sleepwalk talk. But if you've got people that are there that know you and have credibility with you, they can say, you know what? You're talking in your sleep right now because you know this is not what's true about you. Come on now. And they, start, they help to wake you up. There's, there's, there's sort of the cold showers in our life. All right, there you go. I'm going to quit that analogy. It's getting stretched. But we need to wake up. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Don't go sleepwalking through life. Now, Paul then says in verse 15, and this is the main point that he wants to make here, is that when you wake up, you wake up to what's real. You, you get out of the dream world of being an unbeliever. You wake up to the reality of things. One of the things that impacts every area of your life, but one of the main areas that it has to impact is how you use your time. How you use your time. You wake up to the reality of time and how important and precious time is. The NIV translation says, make the most of every opportunity, but it's a kind of a poor translation. The literal Greek has, and some translations have, redeem the time. That's what's literally in the Greek. Redeem the time. The word there is exagorazo, which, which means to redeem. Whenever the word redeem is used in the Bible, that's the word. We're redeemed from sin. We're redeemed from the curse. We're redeemed from the law. Exagorazo, to buy, to purchase. That's the word that's used. So Paul is literally saying, buy the time. Purchase the time. Redeem the time. Grab back the time. That's what he's saying. Think about it. Carpe diem, seize the day. What movie was that in? Dead Poets Society. Seize the day, carpe diem. He's saying, buy the day. He's telling us to wake up to the reality of time that we have. I don't know if you've ever had this experience either, but, but let me share what I think Paul's kind of getting at. I was out uh, walking uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I like to walk at night. That's when I do my best prayer with the Lord. And uh, came to this place that my son and I have named Firefly Valley. Because last June and July, uh, we, we moved in this new house and we went out walking and we were hunting for fireflies and we just stumbled on this little valley and it was so full of fireflies you would not have believed it. It was incredible. There was just lightning bugs everywhere. It was like a Christmas pageant. And, and we, you know, we just both got us so excited. We ran down there and we were just catching these fireflies and they're landing on your hair. They're everywhere. It's like swarming. It's like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, you know, the fireflies. And all over the place, you know. We're also donating about a quart of blood a minute to the mosquitoes, but it didn't seem to matter because we had all these fireflies. And for about three weeks, we, all, we went down there and just captured these fireflies, and we didn't do anything with them. We'd, we'd just take them in the garage, turn off the lights, and then you'd watch the thing, and that's cool. And, and then you let them go. <laughs> it's like, but it's worth a gallon of blood. What the heck? I was there this October night, and it was cold. It was drizzly. It was windy. And I stopped and looked at this firefly place, and... Uh, it looks so dead, and it looks so empty. It was about the same time of night, night we used to go down to, uh, you know, catch them in June. And it was so empty. And I could almost see, like, like ghosts, phantoms. I didn't really see this, but I could picture it in my mind, like, like this dad and this little boy out there running around, just having so much fun. I caught this one. Look at the one I caught, and catching these fireflies, you know, and swatting the mosquitoes. So much life, so much activity. The forest was just, and now it was so dead. It was like the memory of three months ago and the present just clashed. And it created kind of a tinge of sadness in my life. Because I realized that that moment will probably never come again. We might, we might catch fireflies next year, but maybe, you know, he'll be ten and a half years old. Maybe he'll be too cool for that. And, uh, and even if we do it again, it won't be the same, because this was the first time. It was that in initial excitement. We can't ever recapture just that. 
And I, I get to thinking that there'll come a time when, when, when uh, you know, they're going to build a road through there and this firefly valley is going to be gone and no one except God's going to ever know that there was a little boy and a father who once walked this field and had a lot of passion, a lot of life catching fireflies. And it got me kind of sad. And I woke up to something about the reality of time. It just sort of hit you. Do you ever have that experience? You wake up to the fact that time is going one direction and you can never recover the past. And it's going very, very fast. And it kind of makes you go, whoa. It's kind of sad. If you're a non-believer, it's got to be very sad because the end of the whole thing is very dismal. For believers, it, there's still a tinge of sadness in it, but the goal of the whole thing is positive. But you've got to wake up to this to see how valuable, how precious, how unrepeatable time is. Do you ever have this experience? You, have, you parents, you've had this where you just, you turn around one day and it's like, my, your kids, they're all, they're, they're, they're different. Dad, I got a boyfriend. And you, what do you mean? I got a boy, you're still my little girl, you know? You, you don't have boyfriends yet. Can I borrow the car keys? And you think, I just taught you how to ride a bike last week. It was last week, wasn't it? We just teased the tricycle. When was that? It seems like it was last week. I, I want a new uh, prom dress. Well, what do you mean? We were just changing your diapers a day ago. It, it can't be happening this fast. And it goes so fast. You know how that is. And you, and you wonder what the heck happened to those last 12 years, 15 years or whatever. They go like that. And you wake up to the reality of time. You look in the mirror. <laughs> Sometimes you just look in the mirror and it just kind of catches you. It's like, whoa, what's that, you know? <laughs> 99 hairs of head on the bald. 99 hair. It's like, what's happening here? Something's going on here. You, you knew what would happen, but it, it's, now it's happening to you. What, what is this? Uh, derriere. <laughs> and you wake up to the reality of time. It's always changing, and, and you realize you're finite. You realize you're mortal. Sometimes it's the death of a loved one, or maybe it's a fatal disease that hits you when all of a sudden time becomes very precious. You realize it's slipping. You realize that it's finite. Had a friend who had a friend who died this last week, 44 years old, two years ago ran the, the, the Twin Cities Marathon, healthy as could be, was the head of Fayette here at, at White Bear. He got some kind of weird blood clot, fell over in his car one time, went into a coma, and that was it. It goes like this. The Bible says that, that, that life is like grass. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And it's... Because of the regularity of life, it seems so stable. It seems like it's always going to be there. It seems so regular, but friends, it isn't. That's why James says, don't say that you're going to do this and you're going to do that in the future. You say, if God wills, you'll do this, and if God wills, you do that, because you know what? You don't know how much time you have. You don't know how much time you've got. You go to a, a high school reunion. That is the biggest trip in the world. Went to my 20th high school reunion this last year. I haven't been to one up till this time. And that's like going into some kind of a time warp. That was, that was a bizarre thing because you remember these people as they were in eighth grade and now you meet them 25 years later. And, and you try not to notice, you know, but... but uh, <laughs> oh, you're looking well. There's more of you to look well, you know. And, but, you know, we change. We all change. And you talk about old memories and it, and, and it brings the past. It's like this focused vision. You bring the past and you collide it with the present and it's a waking up experience where you realize something about the nature of time. The nature of time is this. The nature of time is that I'm running out of it, so I'm going to say it really quick here. We're on a train, folks. The train is going one direction and this is just the way it really is if we wake up to the reality of it. This train is going in one direction. We don't know a thing about the destination except or, or, when we're going to meet our destination except that there's a wall out there. We could meet it in two seconds. We can meet it in two minutes. We can meet it in two days. We can meet it in two years. Or maybe we won't meet it for 120 years. Who knows? 
but we're going to hit a wall. That's the only thing we know about this train ride, and that it's picking up speed the longer we're in it. You look out the windows of this train, it's going in one direction, and it gets faster and faster and faster. I cannot for my life believe that I've been out of high school longer than I was in school. I can't believe that, because the, the first part took so long. This last 20 years has gone like that. I did one little spin, boom, there it is. Uh, the next 20 years is going to go even faster. I'm going to be dead before you know it. I mean, it's just, that's the reality of time. <laughs> oh, I got you excited now. Hallelujah. We're all going to die. <laughs> but here's the thing, folks. Time is unidirectional. Or unidirectional. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's relentless. There's no slow down button. There's no stop button. And there certainly isn't any reverse button. The time, once it's gone, is unrecoverable. It's a, it's a one-way thing, and it is finite, which makes it the most precious thing that we have got. You can have all the money in the world, all the gold in the world, the biggest house in the world, the nicest cars in the world. You can be the most famous person in the world, but when you run out of that thing called time, it doesn't do you one twat of good. This is the most precious commodity that we have got. And so Paul says, buy it. Buy it. Redeem it. Don't fall asleep on it because it's slipping out the back door every second. The future is but a dream. It's but possibilities. you got to think about it once in a while, but don't live in it. The past is but a memory. You, you, you need to think about that, enjoy it once in a while. You learn from it, but don't live in it. The only thing you can live in, the only thing that's really real, if you just ask yourself the question, what is real, is the right now. It's this very moment. I don't see the future, I don't see the past, but the now is what is real. And so what Paul is saying is grab the now, grab this moment, buy it. Now that takes sacrifice. Buying something means you purchase it, you've got to give something for it. The easy thing is to go through life kind of half asleep, to go through life not, you know, just not really being passionate about anything. You go through life half asleep, but Paul says, when you wake up to the truth of who you are in Christ, you wake up to how, how important, how valuable each now is, because the whole of life is simply an accumulation of a bunch of nows. Now is the time to live. Now is the time to be passionate. Now is the time to decide that you're not going to be a mediocre person. Now is the time to love your kids. There's only one first birthday. There's only one fifth birthday. There's only one first hit. There's only one first race. There's only one first pimple. There's only one first prom. You can't be there for all of that, but goodness sake, we've got to, got to fight the American sleepy dream that gets us into this quandary thinking that the important thing is to, is to you know, work 90 hours a week to climb the totem pole of success when that is utterly worthless. What matters is the now that you spend in a relationship with your kids when you can make a difference there. You know, there's a window of opportunity you have to make a difference in their life, and it closes so quick. Uh, you know... My, my daughters and I, we used to go downstairs and just dance. You know, we put on the music and we just dance and clown around. And so we got videos of it. We were watching it the other night. And then all, all of a sudden, one day, that became uncool. You know, it's like, now they think I dance like a geek. You know, it's like, <laughs> I do. But, but <laughs> I try to dance like them. It just doesn't work. But when did that become uncool? That was so fun, you know. There was a time when I could actually hug my daughters and hold her hands in public. They didn't mind that at all. And all of a sudden, one day, I felt this slip out saying, Dad, my friends might see. It's like, oh, this is so... And that's normal, that's good, but it just shows you how, how quick this goes, how it just... 
the window begins to close. You know, for a little bit, your, your, your kid will say, Dad, can we play catch? Dad, can we play catch? And then there comes a the time when he'll let you play catch if you want to. But there comes a the time, and it happens so quick, when you say, son, let's play catch, and he goes, no, no, I, I got better things to do. The window closes so quick. You've got to buy the moment while it's here, because it is when all is said and done. The only thing that we've got, the only thing that we've got with our spouse, did you ever see the movie or the, the, the play Our Town, Oscar Wilder's, is it Oscar Wilder? the play Our Town. It's about this girl, Emily, who dies. She goes to the graveyard as a young woman, and she wants to go back just for a day, and the people in the graveyard say, no, no, you'll be sad, but she does it anyways. She goes back, and the whole play is about her being so frustrated that people, we talk at each other, but we don't talk really to each other. We coexist, but we don't really interpenetrate. We go through lives in sort of parallel streams, but we never really cross. We take each other for granted. And in this place, she's saying, Mom, look at me. Don't just bring me that. Don't go through the motions. Look at me. Look in my eyes. Can we talk for a little bit? Do you have to be in a hurry? Do you know, do you know how precious this thing is? How, how, how rare? Every moment is unique. It never will happen again. Seize it. Buy it. Grab it. Now is the time to infuse it with passion, with life. In marriages, I don't know when it was that maybe you forgot how to laugh with one another, but I know that if you don't start trying to find a way to have fun now, it's not likely you're going to do it in 10 years because the thing about this train ride is that the longer you go down a certain track, the harder it is to ever get off that track. You probably won't want to in 10 years. Now is the time when you want to love to learn how to love. When you don't want to be mediocre, now is the time to start not being mediocre. When you still want to be loving, you want to do something for the kingdom of God, now is the time to start it. You put it off till you get out of school. You put it off till the kids get out of the house. You put it off, put it off, put it off. But you know what? You may not ever get the chance to do it. And even if you get the chance, you may not want to because you make decisions and then your decisions make you. And by then, you may get so good at being mediocre, you never even think about not being mediocre. Now's the time to decide that you're going to live for God. There's no guarantees about the future. Grab the present. Redeem the present. Live the present. Be passionate in the present. Look into other people's lives. Hug them while you got a chance to hug them. Visit the person in the hospital while you're thinking about it because tomorrow you may not have time. Send that card for no reason that you've always thought would be kind of cool to send. Go out after the service and buy that card and send it. Give flowers while you think about giving flowers. The thought may never occur to you again. You've got to grab the moment, and, and they happen one at a time, and now is the time to do it. Do not shelve it. One final thing, and I close with this. But it, it, it's this. For us, once a moment's gone, we cannot grab it. We can remember it. We can learn from it, but we cannot re-experience it. We, we can't redeem that. You can only redeem the present. But the Lord can also redeem the past, and that's an important word for those of us here this morning, and there are some of us here this morning in this situation, where you're saying to yourself, man... This message gets heard as guilt because you're thinking, I was a workaholic. Maybe I am a workaholic. I maybe am an alcoholic. Maybe I'm, I'm a churchaholic. Huh? There are those around too. And I haven't been there for my kids. I haven't been, I've been going through the motions. I've been half asleep. And I've squandered the best years of my life doing that. And I talked to a beautiful young lady up here, young as, as whatever is my age. And she was about 40, so she's young. And she's up here, and, and she was in, just in a desperate situation where for 20 years, she's been trying to make this marriage work that cannot work. It's abusive. It's been hurting. It's been damaging. You'd have to be on the inside of this before you could ever pass judgment. And, 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 here, and, and now she made a decision to get out of it. And her overwhelming sense was, I poured the best years of my life into this thing that hurt me. It was abusive to me. It didn't do my kids any good. It hurt my Christianity. So much I could have done for the Lord, and I missed it. And my age is between 20 and 40. I flushed down the toilet on this guy who couldn't give me the time of day. 
there's two things that need to be said about that. The first is that there is no, the, the American myth of being in the prime of your life is a myth. Today is the prime of your life. Today is. And, and take it as that. Take it as that. Everything else is a lie. That idea about there was, a, there was a time that was better than this, it's a lie. Grab this moment, buy this moment. The second thing is that when, we, when I was praying with her, the Lord gave her a word, and it was a beautiful word, and it, it really just turned a light on for her. And it was this, that when brought to the cross, nothing is ever wasted. And when you bring the 20 years that you spent in what looks like a total failure to the cross, God is able in his wisdom and his love to take it and make it part of the trophy that he's making out of your life now. And part of your redeeming the present is taking the past and letting the Lord weave something beautiful out of it. And maybe it's full of pain, maybe it's full of mistakes, maybe it's full of things that should not have happened. But that does not mean it was a waste. God was doing something there, and now that you surrender to him, he can bring some good out of it. In this world and in the next, there is no waste here. Start with now. Regrets about the past just don't mean a thing. Start today. Grab this day. Redeem it. Wake up to the reality of this precious thing called time. As we go through this incubator, waiting for eternity, make the most of the time that God's given you. Father, wake us up. I pray, God, that you would just come against the anesthesia in our life, uh, the routines that put us to sleep, the habits that put us to sleep, the messages that put us to sleep, and wake, help us to wake up, Lord, to live, to really live, to go out, Lord God, and see one another as though we were doing it for the first time, to talk with each other, Lord, and to look at each other's eyes, and to appreciate the uniqueness of each other. Help us, Lord God, not to go through life sleepwalking, but to do as much in loving those you've given us to love, and to do as much in serving you for the kingdom as we can possibly do with all the passion that's within us.